Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Community Church in Springfield, Missouri. Christ Community features life-giving, verse-by-verse teaching from the Bible. If you would like more information about CCC, you can visit our website at cccspringfield.org. We trust these messages will challenge and encourage you in being a faithful follower of Christ. Um, If you guys have your Bibles, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. And I want you guys to finish this popular phrase, okay? Finish this phrase for me. It's a new year, new me. Yes, okay, more of you got it this time than the last service. But it's a really popular phrase, new year, new me. Um, I think the reality of the fact is, it's usually New Year, but same me. And really, the only real way to know that is to just look up all the New Year's resolutions that people make and the, the research around the, the percentage of people that actually keep those New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you know this, but it's actually only 9%. So, sorry to squash your dreams for tomorrow, but uh, only 9% of people keep their New Year's resolutions. Um, 23% of people quit in the first week, 43% quit by the end of January, and 80% quit by February. So come February, we're all going to be welcoming ice cream back into our lives, and all God's people said, okay, that's right. Pretty enjoyable. Now I'm curious, just by show of hands, how many of you have actually kept a New Year's resolution before? Um, Wow, way more in this service. You guys are the super spiritual and uh, superior human beings in this service. How many of you have not kept or failed failed at keeping one or not set a New Year's resolution for a fear of failure? Okay, a bunch of failures in the room. That's great. Hey, we're in good company, Kansas City Chiefs, you know, failures, so this season. I know it's a little too, probably a little too soon for that joke, but we'll see what happens. There's a lot of, of theorizing on as to, as to why we don't keep our New Year's resolutions. Um, people say, hey, we're, we're dreaming too big, you know, reach for the sky. You shouldn't really do that. You should, you should focus more on those small incremental changes, you know, over a course of time. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, some people say it's a lack of accountability. That's why we don't keep our New Year's resolutions. I don't know. W- whatever the case, I think that I actually found out why. I think I found out why we don't keep our New Year's resolutions. I think it's actually because we don't consider those changes as something absolutely essential in our lives. We don't consider those things to be absolutely essential, to be an absolute necessity, or else we would keep them. And I'll prove that to you. If I said, hey, you should eat, I don't know, keto for a whole year, I'll give you a billion dollars if you do it. All right. I'm taking it. I'll do keto. Give me all the avocados in the world. Like, let's go, right? We'll, we'll do keto. All, the, all of a sudden, because of the, the prize, because of that money, that sacrifice doesn't seem too bad anymore, right? No, no cheat days. It doesn't seem too bad because now it's become absolutely essential. I got to get that money. So eating this way, total necessity. Now I say all that to, to ask you this question. When it comes to our life as a Christian, when it comes to the spiritual things in our life, our walk with Jesus, what is that one absolutely essential thing that we should be doing? 
Is there an essential? Is there something, that one thing, that we should be doing as a Christian? Think about it. Is, it. is it sharing the gospel? Is it reading the Bible? Is it praying? Is it going to church? Is it living holy? Is it confessing our sin? Like what? Is there one essential? Is there one thing from which everything else flows from? Well, I think that there is. I think that there is. And I think that Jesus actually tells us what it is here in Luke chapter 10. And so if you have your Bible, let's stand and let's honor the reading of God's word. And we'll start in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. What is that one essential? God's word says this. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You can be seated, and let's pray this morning. Lord, we come before you and we just tell you that we love you, that we need you. We bless you and honor you this morning. We thank you for the ability to sing and to worship you, to be in your presence. Now as we focus on your word, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts. We need you to grant that work this morning, Lord. As Paul prayed, that you would strengthen our inner being so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would be rooted and grounded in love and would have strength to comprehend the love of Christ, the height, the depth, the width, the width and the breadth. We need a work of your spirit this morning. Lord, I pray if anyone here doesn't know you, Jesus, that you would draw them this morning, that you would convict them, that you would bring them to a place to where they understand that you are God, that you lived a perfect life they could never live. You died on the cross for their sins so they wouldn't have to, and you rose again from the dead. And your invitation is that whosoever would believe in you, Jesus, will not perish but will have eternal life. We will enter a relationship with you. Thank you for that promise. If you would, just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, just ask you to, Just invite the Lord to just speak to your heart this morning. And then if you would, just invite him to to speak to all of our hearts, those around you this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We're so thankful to be here in your presence and to to hear from your word to worship you. And so we pray all these things in your amazing name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. So what is this one essential that this story brings out? What's that one essential? What is it? Well, in in order to get there, 
we need to unpack this passage, okay? We need to see the different sections of this one scene that plays out, okay? And I've broken it down into three different sections of this scene, and, and the first thing that we see is the context of the scene, the context of the scene. And so if you notice, we, we've parachuted into this passage kind of towards the, the very end of Luke chapter 10, and, and it's only five verses that we're covering. And so if you kind of look at the context and what's going on before and after this passage, you'll notice that Jesus, he, he, he gets done sending out his garrison of 70 disciples to do ministry, and they report back. And then somebody comes to Jesus and asks him a really important question, and Jesus gives a kind of a lengthy response to that question. And so there's, his life is full, there's ministry going on, there's a lot of moving parts. And then if you fast forward past our five verses and you look at chapter 11, you'll also notice that there's a lot of things that are going on in Jesus' life again after he gets back on the road. He starts teaching his disciples how to pray, and then people accuse him of doing works by the power of the devil. And so all of these things are going on, and then here we find this seemingly random passage of Jesus going over to Mary and Martha's. And so as I was thinking about this, this text, I was like, man, this does seem kind of random that this story's here. Like, why is it, why is this story here? Right in the middle of all the hustle and bustle of what's going on? Like, get to the good stuff, and you just kind of pause and, and see this story. And I was, as, as I contemplated it, I think that it's intentionally random. <laughs> I think that Luke is being intentionally random with this story because of exactly that. There's so much going on in the life and the ministry of Jesus before and after these five verses. So much going on. So if you read verse 38, it says, Now as they were traveling along. And so Jesus, he was a traveling rabbi. So not only would he have had a, a full life and ministry as we read about, but we also know that he's, he's not just you know, driving from town to town. He's walking. And when you walk, you get tired, especially when you're walking back then in sandals and all, all, all these dirt roads. And so I think Jesus, he's probably in the, in the mindset of, I need to go somewhere to kick back and to be refreshed. I want to go somewhere where I can stay, kick back, and be refreshed. And where does he choose to go? He chooses to go over to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. I think that's really cool. Because I think that Jesus, he wanted to be in one of his favorite places. And I think this is one of his favorite places because I think this is, these are some of his closest friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I think that they were some of the closest friends that Jesus had on the earth. And the reason I, I think that is because if you look over in John chapter 11, it, it makes this statement about Jesus' affection for them. And it, he says, it says this, that Jesus loved... Mary and her sister and their brother Lazarus. Okay, now at face value, it doesn't necessarily seem that, okay, Jesus, lo Jesus loves everybody, right? We know that. Jesus loves everyone. So why would it say Jesus loved these three specific people? If you actually read the Gospels, there's only a few handful of times that it says Jesus loved so-and-so. Only a handful, handful of times. Why is that? Well, I think it's emphasizing how close of a friendship he had with these three people. You know that Jesus wasn't equally close and intimate with everyone during his life? He had closer friends than others. 
If you look at the cross of Christ, if you look at what's happening when he is on the cross and he's hanging and he's dying, did you know there's, there's only a few people that are there that he knew? His mom, Mary Magdalene, and John, who I think was probably Jesus' best friend. And so when it came down to it, everybody kind of abandoned him. He didn't have that many very close friends. But these three specifically, I think, were his close friends. He loved them. And he even says, uh, Mary and Martha, they, they say to Jesus when Lazarus is dead, he says, they say, this is the one that you love. They emphasize it. You love Lazarus. So he was really close to them. And I think that that's important for us to realize today is that we can be as close to Jesus as we want to be. His invitation of nearness and intimacy with him is for everyone, but we get to determine that. Because if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And so that's, I think, very important for us to remember. So here's Jesus. He goes to Mary, Martha, Lazarus' house, one of his favorite place, places with his closest friends, looking forward to good food probably, certainly good company. And then the text says that, Mary, uh, that Martha comes out and she welcomes him. And that kind of brings us to the second uh, part of the scene, the contrast of the sisters. We see a real contrast between Mary and Martha in this story, and I love it. So who were Mary and Martha? Well, they were obviously two sisters, and they had a brother named Lazarus, who, again, we already said, Jesus raised from the dead later on. And so the fact that Jesus loved them, as you know, is, is very important. It's very important that he loved them. But one interesting thing about uh, Mary and Martha specifically, as we zoom in even more, is that Mar Martha was hospitable, very hospitable. And that was customary at the time. Like, it was customary to be hospitable to someone. And so when Jesus comes into town, and this is probably the town of Bethany, because we know that's where they're from, and other, other texts of Scripture tell us that. Jesus comes into town. We don't know if, he was, if it was announced that he came into town. We don't know how early it was announced that he came into town. So you can probably imagine Martha might might be freaking out a little bit, right? She, she might be thinking, you know, like, Jesus is coming here? Wait, he's obviously going to stay here because we're obviously friends with Jesus, and, and we love him, and he loves us, and so he's obviously going to stay here. So, uh, okay, Mary, time to pick up the house. Lazarus, you help Mary pick up the house. I'm going to go get food. We're going to get everything together. And I can imagine Mary is like, Martha, the house is already pretty clean. Like, I don't know why we're having to pick things up. You guys ever had that conversation with your wife? Like, it's already kind of clean in here. Why are we picking up? Sorry, whatever, you know. So I can kind of see, like, Mary and Martha having that kind of back and forth, and, and Lazarus is like, okay, I'll just do what I'm supposed to do, you know. Um, so we don't know exactly how much of a heads up, but we know that she was looking forward to being hospitable. She welcomed Jesus. And I think, based on this story, that Martha was probably a little bit more of that type A, you know, personality. She was more of a doer. She's more of a server get things done. And scripture also suggests that she was probably the leader of, of that household because we don't really see, and that's actually really interesting because we, usually Lazarus, the male, would be the leader of the household, but we don't really see him in that position. And some commentators actually believe that that could be because Lazarus potentially had special needs. And so his sisters would have had to take care of him. And so here's Martha. She's a doer. She's a server. She welcomes Jesus in. And then here's, the con start, here's where we start to see the contrast with Mary. Martha's a doer. Mary is a listener. 
Mary is a listener. Now, I just want to say one caveat. This is just highlighting these characteristics. This doesn't mean that Mary didn't also serve. This doesn't mean that Martha didn't also listen to the Lord. But we're just highlighting some of these characteristics here. And so verse 39 says, She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And so Jesus comes in. He takes off his sandals. He reclines. He begins to have a conversation. And Mary is like, I'm here for that. I'm here for the conversation with Jesus. She's in her favorite place. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's doing her favorite thing, listening, having conversation. I'm sure she uh, loved hearing the Lord teach. I'm sure she, she loved being able to ask him questions. She loved probably the tenderness, the individual concern that she felt Jesus had for her. I'm sure she loved the humor of Jesus. I like to think that Jesus was the life of the party because what else are you going to get with a perfect human, right? So here's Mary. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. By the way, I want to point this out, that back then, um, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, this is kind of a master-disciple dynamic that we see here. And that was not the case for women back then. Women could not assume that role. And so the fact that Jesus is assuming him as the rabbi and her as the disciple just shows us how much Jesus elevated women as equal image bearers of God. It's very, very cool, very important. Luke highlights that a lot for us. And so here is Mary, and here's where we really start to see the contrast with Martha. Martha, we see, is focused on serving Jesus. Verse 40 says, But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. Martha was, she was busy preparing. And it says that that was a distraction. Some people think that because it says she was a distraction, or because she was distracted, that she did want to be with Jesus, but they had, she had other things that were pulling her away from the presence of Jesus. These preparations. And what were the preparations? Well, it says that they were serving. That's the word we get deacon from. And so she was serving, she was busy serving Jesus. And you know how it is. You guys ever get to that place where you're like, okay, I got to get some, some stuff done, and then you start getting those things done, and then you're like, okay, that thing just created about 4.5 million more things that I have to get done, so now I got to get those things done, and then these things done, and, and then you kind of, you have a downward spiral, and it gets frustrating and frustrating and frustrating, and then you reach a boiling point. Anyone ever been there before? Okay. Well, here's, here's Martha, and she's there, and it reaches a boiling point, especially when she notices Mary was not helping her, right? So she's a little annoyed. Mary's in the other room. I'm doing the stuff. She's not. And so here's what she does. Here's what the text says. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Not a good look for Martha. Not, a, not, not, the, not the best look for Martha. The, the, the Greek actually says that, that she came and stood over Jesus and then accused him of not caring and demanded, commanded him to tell her to help serve. Not the best look when you're commanding the God of the universe to do stuff. I don't know if anybody's there with me. Probably not the best look, okay? I don't think so. 
I can, I can also imagine, like, if I were Martha and those words came out of my mouth, I just stood over Jesus and I just blurted all that out. I would probably instantly feel like just, you know, trash, probably. Just like, man, I am the absolute worst. What did I just do out of frustration? So I feel even worse about myself, right? I can just imagine this may have been the lowest low for Martha. And what does Jesus do? What's his reply? Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary, she has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. The third part of the story is the care of the Savior. Can't you hear the care and the concern and the tenderness and the affection in Jesus' voice right there? Can't you hear that? He's not saying in an angry tone, Martha, Martha. He's not saying in an annoyed tone like, Martha, Martha. No, he's saying in a tender and an affectionate tone towards her, Martha, Martha. You're worried and you're bothered about so many things. I like how the NLT puts it. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. One commentator said this, Jesus knows how to still the raging waves of anxiety. Notice that he says her name not once but twice, Martha, Martha. You can almost hear him slowing down the second time. He uses his voice like a brake to slowly quiet the turbulence in her heart. He knows how distracted she is, how wildly her mind is racing from one worry to another, and so he begins by helping her focus. Martha, Martha. In just two short sentences, he confronts her sinful anxiety, our sinful anxiety, with necessity, then felicity, and lastly, with security. That's really good. And I love, in the Lord's reply, how he's not angry and upset when his friends are honest with him. That's what Martha's doing. She's being honest with her friend Jesus right now. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life where I let something build up emotionally or I'm suppressing something and maybe it's a frustration, frustration with God, whatever. And then I kind of act like it's not there and then I finally just get so upset that I just tell God about it. It's usually kind of irreverent, but it's just honest. I tell him how I feel. I tell him how I feel like he's handling the situation sometimes. I don't know if anybody's ever been there before, but in those moments, I don't feel guilty or ashamed. I feel comforted by the Lord because what, what, I, what I was doing, what, what Martha did here whether subconsciously and certainly irreverently, she is casting her burden on Jesus. She's telling Jesus how she feels. She's being honest with him because he can handle it. She's that close to Jesus. He's that close of a friend that she knows she can tell him how she feels. And she calls him Lord. She knows who he is. And she doesn't just do this here. She does it in chapter 11 when her brother dies. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Martha's honest with Jesus. 
And I'm glad that he has concern and care and affection and tenderness and forgiveness in his voice whenever we come to him and when we're honest with him, that he loves us. It's just the care, the concern, the love of the Lord. I feel like there may be some of us in this room, there's something in our lives that have reached a boiling point. We keep letting it fester. It's, it's just amounting to something. And just know that the Lord wants you to be honest. He wants you to unload that on him because he can handle it. I think, I don't think we should be irreverent, but I think he overlooks that sometimes because he's more happy that we would just be honest, that we would come to him like a friend. I think we need to remember that. I love how the the message paraphrases this verse. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. And here it is. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it won't be taken away from her. So here's the answer to the question. What is the essential? What is the one essential? Here it is. It is hearing and enjoying Jesus. That is the one essential. Everything else in our lives flows from this place of hearing and enjoying Jesus. And that's what we see Mary do. But one thing is necessary, Jesus says, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away. So what is, what is this good part that won't be taken away? It harkens back to what Mary is doing. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she is listening to his word. That is, that's it. That's the one essential, Jesus says. That's the necessity. It is to hear him and it is to enjoy him. And that won't be taken away. In other words, anxiously serving from this place of doing and obligation and, and anxiety, that's just going to go away. That's just going to perish. It's not going to amount to anything. But this time that we're spending with Jesus in his presence, at his feet, listening to his word, that's an eternal investment in our communion and fellowship with God. That's not going to be taken away. That's going to last forever. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I love how the message said, it's the main course. Martha might be preparing some food over here, but here's the real food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And here is the word of God incarnate, the bread of life himself, Mary receiving that sustenance from him. That's where it is, hearing and enjoying Jesus. So what does it mean to hear and enjoy Jesus? I want to unpack that a little bit more. It means that we are listening to his voice and we are enjoying his friendship. Listening to his voice and enjoying his friendship. When we listen to his voice, that means that we are in the word, in scripture. That's the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word, is through the scripture. And not just reading it and checking off a box to learn more things about God, No, that has to turn into enjoyment of God. We'll talk about that in a second. But it is meditating on the word. It is delighting in the word. Psalm uh, 1 talks about that. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And he'll be firmly rooted and established like a tree planted by flowing streams of water. Do we delight in the word of God? Do we meditate on the word of God? We have to be in the word. That's the primary way that we hear the voice of the Lord in our lives. But we also need to be listening for the still, small voice of the Lord. 
the voice that Elijah heard, not when everything powerful was going around, was going on in the mountain, but whenever it was quiet, whenever Elijah was still, and he could hear the still, small voice of the Lord. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know me, and they follow me. Do you listen to his voice in the scripture? Do you listen to his still, small voice speaking to you directly in your life? There's a, a two years ago, actually it'll be three years ago in January, I was uh, preaching through a, a book, uh, the book of Colossians. I was preaching um, to students, just walking through the book of Colossians, and uh, I, was, I was studying and I was working at a coffee shop, and I like to just be a really big nerd studying the Bible, so I'm like looking at each word, and I'm like, ooh, what is, what's the root word of that word, and the root word of that word, and it's just this endless rabbit trail, you know. <clears throat> and so I get on this word, in Colossians chapter 2, it says that Jesus, in him, are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm like, ooh, what's that word treasure mean? And so I click on, you know, the etymology of it or whatever, and I'm like reading about it. And then I find out that it's actually the word where we get the word thesaurus from. And I'm like, ooh, that's awesome. Like, Jesus is the source of wisdom and knowledge. Like, oh, there's just so much, like, richness right there. And then I just, like, keep going on a rabbit trail, you know. And about an hour passes by. And then I find out that, I'm at, that the day that I was studying that was actually National Thesaurus Day. <laughs> The guy who invented the modern thesaurus, it was his birthday, and so that was national, January 18th, National Thesaurus Day. And uh, <clears throat> my response to that was like, first, first of all, I was like, <clears throat> I was like dang, that's, that's pretty cool. And then I went into the bathroom and I just cried because it, it sunk in that God was speaking to me personally. And he was telling me that he loved me, he was with me, he was blessing me. And that's what the still, small voice of the Lord does. We need to be listening to his voice, his still, small voice. We need to be quiet and still enough to hear it. And we need to be listening to his word. And here, here's what's really important. Hearing the Lord, hearing his voice is tethered to enjoying him. It's tethered to joy. And enjoying him as our friend. That's what we see Mary doing here. It's more than just listening and, and a, an information dump. It's more than what's going, there's so much more than just listening and learning. She's enjoying. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this. This is really important. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus says to his disciples, not just, no longer I'm calling you slaves. I want to call you my friends. I want friendship with you. I want to be friends with you. Think about, think about your relationships with your friends. Do you just do things for each other? Just like, oh yeah, I'm going to take out your trash and mow your lawn. You're my best friend. See ya. Never talk to them. Enjoy them. No, our friendships amount to so much more than just doing things for each other. Right? We... I work from a coffee shop a lot. I see people hanging out, friends just talking to each other and smiling and enjoying each other's company. They delight in each other. They receive pleasure from just being around each other. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's why hearing him is tethered to enjoying him. 
Because when we hear him, we enjoy his presence in our lives. We enjoy communion and his company. And he enjoys us. And he delights that we would sit with him and that we would talk to him and have communion with him. That's what Mary is doing here. You delight in your friends. They delight in you. They talk to each other. And you know what Jesus says here in John 15? The chief characteristic of my friends and how I show my friendship to you, he says, the things that I've heard from my Father I've revealed to you. It's hearing the voice of God. That's why it's tethered to enjoying God, enjoying friendship with Jesus. God speaks to his friends. He wants us to speak to him. And so that's what Mary's doing. She's enjoying the Lord. She's having conversation with him. He, she is feeling his delight in her. And that's what Paul wants us to do. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being. And to summarize what he says, to feel the love of God for you. Because it surpasses knowledge. You have to have the Holy Spirit to give you strength to feel God's love, his delight, his pleasure in you. And what does that do in us? Oh my gosh, like, it reciprocates, right? I love God back. I love him more. And that's the place that we're to operate from, hearing and enjoying Jesus. I want to show you a couple pieces of art. When I think of this scene, <laughs> often I, I, I envision this, just like this Byzantine formal, I mean, look at that, that chair that Jesus is sitting on, and he has a footrest, right? Like, that's, <clears throat> that's some pretty impressive stuff. And there's Martha and, you know, all, all those things going on, like, super formal. That's what some of us might think of this scene as. But here's the next painting I want to show you. This is what I think this is more like. You see the joy that's happening in that scene? So I emailed the, the, the artist who painted this, and I said, hey, can you just give me your thoughts on why you painted this the way you did? And she said this. The painting originated because my mother-in-law actually shared with me that she, she kept sensing that maybe I should paint these scenes as intercession over the body of Christ to fix our eyes totally on him the way that Mary did, to lose ourselves in love for him. I wanted to capture how totally engrossed Mary was with Jesus, but also how focused and pleased with her he was. It was as if she was the only person in the room that no one else was there, although there were many. We can get lost in giving him our full attention. I think that's probably how Mary felt when she was around Jesus. And he loves me like I'm the only person in this room. Like I'm the only person that he's ever created. But here's the thing, everyone feels that way around Jesus. That's how much he loves us, how much he's devoted to us, how much his attention is on us and is on his friends. I love <laughs> that when we read about Mary, that she's mentioned three times, and all three times, <laughs> the feet of Jesus are mentioned. Here she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. In John chapter 11, when her brother dies, she falls before the feet of Jesus. And in John chapter 12, she anoints the feet of Jesus. And as I was thinking, I'm like, man, what's the significance of, of that, of the feet of Jesus? And what does it symbolize? And all I could, honestly, I think there's more to it, but all I could think about was when Moses was before the Lord 
And he says, take off your shoes because the place that you're standing is holy ground. Moses was in the special holy presence of God. And I can't help but think that there's something there with Mary, that she realizes she's in the special holy presence of God. And when Jesus walks in and takes off his shoes, that she's communing, she's in the presence of Jesus, of God. And she loves it, she cherishes it. That's why she anoints him with perfume, his feet. She loves the presence of Jesus. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing, one essential thing, I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. One thing, to dwell in the house of the Lord, in his presence, to gaze on his beauty. That's the one thing. That's the one essential. And so I want to get very practical And I want to look at two ways that we can practically lean into and create space in our lives to lean into that essential, to hearing and enjoying Jesus. Number one, we have to eliminate the enemy of the essential. We have to eliminate the enemy of the essential. That is distraction. Distraction is the enemy of the essential. I want to throw up another picture. This is of our daughter, (laughs) Eden. Um, So let me explain. So she has, uh, she's laying on the ground. She has a toy in her right hand, as you can see. She has this toy thing that's attached to the arch in her left hand. And then her feet are kind of behind this, this arch and getting caught on it. And so what she's trying to do in this picture, she's actually, she's trying to roll over. Like, that's the, that's the main thing that she wants to do is to roll over. But <laughs> literally... All of her extremities, I think except for one, are causing her to not be able to roll over. Like she has the ball in her hand, that's stopping her. I mean, you can't roll over when you're holding on to the the circle thing, whatever that is. And then her leg keeps getting caught. So like she's trying, the the one thing she wants to do is to roll over, but all these preoccupations that she has are preventing her from rolling over. And as I snapped that picture and I was thinking about the text, and I, I was like, man, I feel like that is very reminiscent of, of our lives as a Christian. We, have, we, we want to be with Jesus. We want to spend time with him. That's our deepest desire. But we distract ourselves. We have so many preoccupations in our lives that we're holding on to. We just can't, we can't do it. We can't roll over. And then we wonder, God, why do I feel so distant from you? Because <laughs> distraction creates distance. But if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. We need to rid ourselves of those distractions. We all know what those things are, and we'll talk specifically about them. But I recently read a book where the author, he talks about this encounter that he has in his church with a nine-year-old boy. And this nine-year-old boy is gifted in the prophetic. And so this nine-year-old boy comes up to him and says, Jack, the Lord showed me that you are bored with his word. You're not reading it much anymore. But he doesn't want you to worry about it. It's just a phase that you're going through, and he's going to bring you back. And here's what the author said. It was true. The Bible guy was bored with the Bible. He was a Hebrew scholar, by the way. But I hadn't told anyone, so no one was praying for me. I felt like a hypocrite. Now God came down from heaven to tell me that it was just a phase, that I didn't need to worry about it, that he would bring me back because he loved me and he missed me. Isn't that what we see in the heart of Jesus for Martha? Martha, I'm... I'm, I want you to be right here. Hey, you're over there. Hey, I missed you. I'm here. I want you to come and be in my presence. 
And he's not trying to beat us over the head by if we're bored with the word of God or whatever it is. Sometimes it's just a phase. That's the tenderness of the Lord and the tenderness, the kindness should draw us, bring us to repentance. He misses us. He wants us to be with him and he wants to be with us. And so distractions, they come in. They're all shapes and sizes. I want to look at two specific ones, two specific distractions. We obviously see Mary or Martha. She is serving and that's a distraction. She is serving Jesus and that has become a distraction with her intimacy with Jesus. Isn't that wild? That even things we do for God can detract us from God. Even the things that we're trying to glorify him in, if they're coming from the wrong place, it says that she was full of anxiety, trying to get all these things done, that those things can actually draw us away from him. It's not a bad thing to serve God. Jesus wants us to serve him. But even serving the Lord, it doesn't equate with enjoying the Lord. Even reading our Bible, even praying, that can become a checklist. It become, we're, I, I believe we're all hardwired uh, in our flesh as legalists. And so we, we can read our Bible every single day for years and years straight and not feel an inkling closer to the Lord because we're not taking it a step further and actually enjoying him. It's just turning into a list or in our Bible app. Oh, check, 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 check. Do you want to break my 400-day streak? I'm super spiritual. We can all do that, right? Even serving the Lord. Overextension. And I honestly think that sometimes when we overextend ourselves, uh, or overextending ourselves is a real thing. Um, we shouldn't do that. But I also think that sometimes when we're burnt out serving God, it's because we're actually bored with God. Because David says our cup should be overflowing. He makes our cup to overflow. And so serving, that can be a distraction. Secondly, and this is a big one for us, busyness. Busyness. When people used to ask how you were doing, it was usually like, hey, I'm good, you know, peace out, not gonna join a conversation, but just, I'm good, see ya. But now it's like, hey, how are you doing? Busy. <laughs> Isn't that like, I don't know if it's just, just me, but I, I come across a lot of people, I'm just busy, doing good, but busy. So busy. We live in a culture of busyness. You guys agree with me that we live in a culture of busyness, hurriedness, and if we're, if we're honest, guys, we, we do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. And it's, sometimes it's not that we are even overextended or don't have time, but sometimes we're just not intentional with our time, and it wastes away. We all fall in, can fall into that category. But I think that we're too busy with non-essential things. Maybe that's serving too much at church. That happens. Maybe we're consuming too much media. Maybe we're involving our kids in way too many sports, way too many activities. A psychologist Carl Jung said this, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. Corey Tinboom said this, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And then John Mark Comer, he wrote the book Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, highly recommend it. He said this, hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. If you remember back to the placement of this passage, remember it's randomly intentional. Or it's intentionally random, however I'm saying it. In the middle of busyness, in the, in the middle of all the hustle and bustle, it's emphasizing we have to be focused on the essential. Hearing and enjoying Jesus. 
Because distractions, they'll breed anxiety, and that's what Martha's filled with. She's worried. She's worked up so many things, so busy. But they weren't essential things. And some of us has, have too much on our plate. And even with serving, and because we have so much on our plate, it makes us feel closer to God because, oh, yeah, I'm being productive. But that productivity doesn't equate enjoyment of God and hearing him and loving him and doing that serving from a place of love. So Jesus offers us rest in his presence. The essential is hearing and enjoying Jesus. And so those two practical ways, we've got to eliminate those distractions. Number two, and lastly, make space to sit with the Lord. Make space. Create space to sit still with the Lord. This doesn't mean that you have to do it all by yourself every single day, have a, have a, a quiet time. This, this can be a just daily lifestyle of creating space, of understanding that you're in the presence of the Lord. He is living inside of you, being God conscious. We need to slow down and sit in the Lord's presence. Slow down, sit in the Lord's presence. Comer also said this, the solution to an overbusy life is not more time, it's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. Because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal of the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. Our time is our life, and our attention is the doorway to our hearts. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. To walk with Jesus is to walk with, in a slow, unhurried pace. That artist that I mentioned, I emailed, and she had the first image. She actually told me she had a companion piece to that, that first picture, and it's called Martha's Repentance. And there it is for you. Here's what she said about this one. She said, this painting originated from pondering the fact that the word never tells us what Martha did after um, the Lord told her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and concerned about many things. I'd like to believe his kindness led her to repentance. And she put down, as you can see in the corner, she put down what she was doing to focus solely on him the way that Mary was. And we can all do the same thing. And as you can see, there's, other, there's Mary over here. There's the other people over here. But to Martha, now Jesus' attention is solely focused on her. That's how she feels. His attention is just on her. But she had to put those things down to focus on him. Maybe that's you this morning. I'm sure we all fall into this category. Too busy, too overextended, or too distracted to make space to be with the Lord, to sit with him, to sit at his feet, to hear from him, to enjoy him, delight in him, feel his delight in us. We can repent this morning, and we can experience that refreshing from the Lord and that rest. And I hope that's what, I hope that's what we'll do, because he's, there's nothing better than hearing from your Lord, from your Savior, and from your best friend. So I'll close with this. Joshua Bell, a very famous violinist. Um, several years ago, he was in the D.C. area, and he did a, um, a concert, sellout concert. He played a 3.5 million violin to extremely intricate work. People came out to see him, sold expensive tickets. Very, very established professional violinist. And so he decided to do a, a social experiment to where he went into the D.C. metro area 
and he played his violin for 45 minutes and just kind of, and he was disguised and he just kind of tried to see what happened. What ended, up hap- what ended up happening is he starts playing and then it's kind of the rush hour, so people are go- going to and fro from work and it was estimated because they could count that there were thousands of people going in and out while he's standing there playing. And so out of that 45-minute period, guess how many people stopped to listen? Six people. And there were about 20 people who decided to give money as they walked by, but they didn't stop to listen. He he wound up with a whopping $32 after 45 minutes. And I couldn't help but believe that that's a picture of what we're talking about this morning. There is so much beauty in Jesus. One thing I've asked, to gaze at the beauty of the Lord. There's so much beauty. If we would just stop and listen, we would experience the beauty of the Lord. We would experience his word, hearing from him, enjoying him. We would experience all that if we would just stop. If they would have just known who that was that was playing, then they would have, more people would have stopped. If we just realize who Jesus is, the fact that we get to know him, to be friends with him, to serve him, we would stop, we would listen. But some of us, I think we fall into the category of the people who just walk by and place the money in there and, okay, sweet, I feel super spiritual now. I've, I've done my dues, I give my money, I, I go to church, I check off the boxes. I feel mature because I'm being productive. This doesn't equate to stopping and listening and hearing and enjoying the Lord. So as we, we enter the, the new year, that's my encouragement, is to hear and enjoy Jesus. That's the one essential thing. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Christ Community Church podcast. We hope today's message gives you encouragement and hope. If you would like more information about the church, you can go to cccspringfield.org.